Uh, the title of the sermon is They Will Fast. <clears throat> Coming from Isaiah, the 58th chapter, the 3rd through the 7th verse in the book of Matthew, the 9th chapter, the 14th through the 17th verse. Our reading scripture came from the book of Matthew, the 9th chapter, and the 15th verse, whereas the disciples of John had came to Jesus and asked him about why wasn't his disciples fasting. We have things in the Bible that's spoken of that are not God's commandments. They're not a commandment. There's no commandment in the Bible to fast. Uh, in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there was, in the book of Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, God spoke of a command, uh, not a commandment, but a statue, we want to call it, uh, you can call it a commandment, but it was one of the handwriting of ordinances that was removed. That was the day of atonement, that everyone would fast, that they would all fast, to become at one with God, at harmony with God. So that was the only day, but we look throughout the Bible where various people and those that gained greatly with God was ones that did fast. And as I was saying, there was certain handwriting of ordinances that was nailed to the cross. But we know John was kind of a ascetic one that was kind of given to what the people would call strangeness and his disciples fasted <clears throat> and the Pharisees was given to fasting twice a week and there's a lot of teaching on fasting and today the secular world uh, do a lot of fasting and fasting for health reasons and different reasons and I think maybe that's one of the reasons that God didn't make an make it a statue of command because everyone may not be able to fast. For specific health reasons, um, if you're diabetic, especially type 1 diabetes and other health reasons, some people can't fast because of their glucose, their sugar level or whatever with their insulin or whatever. It would cause extreme hardship on the body it may put you in jeopardy of your life or whatever, and God doesn't th do that to us. And uh, there, an example of 40-day fasting in the Bible, Moses and Jesus did it, which was divine fasting, which was, uh, you would have to have, I think it's a would be an order of divine fasting to, only person in modern day times I've known that fasted for longer than night, I think was Dick Gregory, a uh, black activist doing back in the 70s or whatever, but he had medical doctors attending to him during that time because after maybe about three to four days, if the body hadn't had water, dehydration and things sets in and you put in your self in a perilous position by us being composed of more than 98% water doing without that would put you in serious jeopardy and there are situations where you may can go longer or whatever and some people body compositions is differently or whatever but we see fasting is not given as an ordinance uh, 
it's not obligatory, whereas fasting is voluntary. So when those disciples from John came to Jesus in Acts, they asked a question. They said, then the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus asking, why do we and the Pharisees often fast? As a, you know, and that's just a religious exercise, is fasting. But they say, but your disciples do not fast. And Jesus replied to them, Can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away, and then they will fast. But no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and a worse tear results. Nor is wine put into old wineskins that have lost their elasticity. Otherwise, the wineskins burst and the wine spills and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins so that both are preserved. There he addressed fasting. If we look at that whole chapter, which we're not going to do, the illustrations and we've talked on the new wineskins and the old garment and explained those or whatever, but the fasting, he says that they couldn't fast anyhow if the bridegroom was with them. If Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus came to bring cheer and rejoicing and and peace and all of the things that he did bring, why would the people be mourning and in a state of depredation of, of, of how can I say, afflicting themselves or whatever with the bridegroom there. He says, but the bridegroom will be taken away and they will fast. So that that's kind of pointing to the fact that the day has come that his people actually will fast, that, that they'll incorporate that into their lives, fasting. But we see where there's no uh, prohibition against fasting, but there's no regulation or commandment that they should fast and people take fasting just as the church does everything else today and think that God has to do something for them fasting or whatever now there are rewards that comes from fasting openly uh, as I said the secular world use it as a de detoxification process they use liquid fast or a different type fast. It cleanses the body or whatever. It removes toxins from the body, but those are for health reasons and not spiritual reasons. A lot of times people say, well, you don't look like you can fast or you're able to fast or whatever. That's just the point. It's not about appearances. It's not about those things. So there's a lot of people that maybe don't look like they're able to fast. They may fast much longer than you because as I started, I, I, I pointed to it the other day, and I'll go into it another time. And at the beginning of time, fasting was way before a lot of us heard about it in biblical times or whatever. It goes all the way back to the beginning when man was a hunter-gatherer, they would have to go days without food, you know, until they find game, you know. You couldn't just go out there and get an animal. It wasn't like going down to Aberson's or Walmart and buying food or whatever. You'd have to run across a rabbit or whatever animal that you was going to eat. Uh, 
go fishing. And, you know, many fishermen know that you don't always catch fish when you go fishing, you know, sometimes you do without it. Fasting is not necessarily any benefit to fasting if you're going because you don't have anything to eat. You fasting or you're not eating because you don't have nothing to eat. But fasting would be a rejection of not partaking of food, making a sacrifice, not eating when you have it there to eat. You're looking at other benefits to it or whatever. And not being an agrarian culture to start with, you know, agriculture has developed and now we have food in the freezer and able to freeze it. But back then, if they didn't preserve food or put it up or whatever, there's no grain, no things to eat at certain times. And during the winter or harvest time or drought, drought time, you would be times of leanness where you wouldn't have much to eat or whatever. But religiously, people adopted fasting and looking at fasting and thought <clears throat> it was going to obligate God to do something for them. That it, it was quid pro quid as the prosperity churches and the word of faith churches teach today that you do this and God has to do this. If you tithe, God's going to bless you and give you this back and do that. It's erroneous teachings. We're looking at wrong teachings and not saying that God doesn't reward people and doesn't but don't incorporate that as that God could be put into debt to any man. God doesn't allow himself to be indebted to any man. Uh, Isaiah 58, 3 through 7 says, We've fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? Why don't you see our sacrifices? Why don't you hear our prayers? We have done much penance and you don't even notice it. I'll tell you why, God says, because you are living in evil pleasure. Even while you're fasting, you keep right on oppressing your workers. Look what good is fasting. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. Is this what I want? This doing of penance, bowing down your head like reeds in the wind, putting on sackcloth and covering yourself with ashes? Is this what you call fasting? No, the kind of fasting I want is that you stop oppressing those who work for you and treat them fairly and give them what they earn. I want you to share your food with the hunger and bring right into your own homes those who are helpless, poor, and destitute. Clothe those who are cold and don't hide from your relatives who need your help. So we see here what God is expecting from a fast and they're under the wrong thoughts. They're under the wrong teachings, and they're looking at this from the wrong perspective. We have to see these things from God's perspective. And it's repentance is what God's looking for, turning away from your way of life. They were in the Babylonian captivity, and they were fasting in certain months. And you look at Zechariah, they would fast in the fifth and the seventh month, they were fasting and thinking God should free them from their bondage in Babylon and that God would free them from certain things in their lives and that he would be impressed by them fasting. But there's no certain number of days or time limit that God puts on someone fasting. You're no more fat 
spiritual than the next person if you fast for 12 hours than if you fast for 7 to 10 days or 30 days. You remember I told you God normally would be on a 40-day fast. But if if you was to fast, some people fast for 12 hours. Uh, They wake up and they fast. And what happens is, there's no since there's no time limit on it, that person for that 12 hours or however long that they're fasting, giving themselves to prayer and looking into God, the fast is away from doing your pleasure or what you're supposed to be doing to receive joy, but it's time set aside for communi- communing with God and for afflicting of the soul. So normally what happens is God brings about fasting in our lives through mourning and an affliction. That's my first point, through mourning and affliction. God says, blessed are these that are mourned, for they shall be comforted. And what happens, the fast brings, God brings on like in the book of Mark, when Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and he was fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward it says he was hungered. So we see it was the spirit that drove him into the wilderness. It was the spirit that brought about this fast. But see, he was going through an ordeal there that before the selection of the apostles, of, of his disciples, that he needed God within this. And I told you about my son being sick, uh, different things in our lives. God drives us to a godly sorrow. God brings things into your life that sometimes you lose your appetite. Have you ever, you know, a young man breaks up with a woman, a young lady or something or whatever. Uh, she breaks up with a, this young man and the young man goes his way or whatever. They can't hardly eat or whatever. They lose their appetite. You in debt, some great catastrophe or calamity has happened and you didn't got yourself in a bind or the doctor didn't give you news of a sickness or whatever. Or you need to go back to the doctor to find out how that test come out or whatever. You so worried, you so upset, you can't hardly eat. It's like David when he committed this sin with Bathsheba and God says that he was going to kill that child and he was fasting and praying that God wouldn't kill the child. You know, you fasting and praying and let the Lord, Lord, let the doctor not tell me that this is cancer, that this is wrong. Let this not happen to my spouse, you know, that they're going through this and you can't hardly eat until you hear good news. You need to get in contact with God. So during this time, you're praying to God, you're thinking on scripture, you're reassuring yourself in the word of God, in the meditation of his heart, saying that all things work together for good than those that love the Lord. So at this time of brokenness, it's turning from what you are or what brought you there. See, they wasn't thinking about that. They had gotten themselves into captivity in Babylon, that it was their fault that they were in captivity because they had broken God's laws. David says, I went astray before I was afflicted. Normally, before we get ourselves in a situation or something happened, it's because we've done something wrong. 
Adam and Eve disobeyed God, the reason they was in the condition they were in. You done spent up your bill money. You done did something wrong. Now you done got yourself in a bind. And Lord, if you would just get me out of this jail. Have you repented of what you did to get yourself in jail? Have you repented of what got you into that situation? And see, these people, God says they hadn't repented. They hadn't turned, but they just heard, you know, God is a reward of those that seek him. And that if you're tired, God's going to bless you or whatever. Well, this is covetousness up on top of covetousness. You're not saying, man, you know, I hadn't been doing right by God. God has blessed me all of this time and I'm not returning offerings and tithes unto him. I'm not supporting the ministry. I'm not going down in the church. See, because sometimes it's not money that we're looking at. Sometimes it's time. You know, as you get older and everything, it's not about the money. With old people, ain't much you can do with money. If you're laying in the bed sick and you really can't enjoy it, you know, you really can't eat the foods that you used to eat and go to places you used to go or whatever. But a relationship, joy and happiness, contentment with God is what you need. So the sacrifice you need to be doing, are you spending time praying and talking and communing with God? How is that relationship? We hear of an 87-year-old woman, Anna, that she was at the temple. What she was doing, she was consistently praying in fasting. And you see, you can't do anything else. I, I, I'm broke, Pastor. I, I don't make that much or whatever. But are you praying for the pastor? Are you praying for the church? Are you praying for people to be saved? Are you hearing the prayers that people are asking in the church for them to pray for? Because you could be a prayer warrior. You know, that's, that's one of the weapons. Our weapons are not carnal. So you should be praying for God's people. You see, that, that, that's part of the armory that we should have. So you should be to stop doing what you were doing and turn around. That's why God has you in this position. That's why he says, blessed are they that mourn. Are you mourning for the nation? How many times in this television age they're not showing it or whatever because of the position the United States has on this war? They talk about Ukraine a lot, but how many of the Palestinians are we praying for that's being murdered each day? That Netanyahu are killing and they're bombing up those people. The further they go into the refugee camps, the further Israel proceed to bomb and murder. They go demolish Hamas and Hamas is evil. Hold on, you burning down the whole castle and you forgetting about the details. The devil is in the details. How about all those Palestinians in the, in the countless 20, 30, 40, 50,000 or so that you've murdered that didn't rape and pillage and do anything? You throwing out the baby with the bathwater here. So he says you murder, you kill, you oppress the poor, you do all of these things. They're not... The UN, the United Nation, is saying we need another ceasefire, a ceasefire in this war so we can get humanitarian aid because the people are suffering. The people are not eating. We need to get doctors and things to attend for the wounded. There are a lot of infants and people dying over that. 
but you're looking at it from a religious perspective and saying, well, Israel is God's people and during all of this, we're going to burn them up and we're going to destroy evil. Now, hold on. You hiding behind scripture to murder and kill and pillage? Is this God? And you're wondering why God is not listening at your fasting and prayer? You oppressing the poor. There's a lot of poor in the Palestinians. There's a lot of poor Ukrainians. There's a lot of poor in this United States of America that we're tearing down the voting rights, that we're oppressing with injustice. Here we have a man that's running for the oath of office that's under criminal criminal, criminal indictment after indictment in the character. Are you mourning for a nation that then got in such a condition as this? A lot of people have given up on Louisiana. You had more out-migration than you had in-migration because of the governor that we have now because of the political aspects of what's going on in the state of Louisiana. What's the outlook? Are you mourning and signing? That, that's what it said in Ezekiel. He says, you put a mark on those that mourn and sigh for the things that's going on within the nation, what's going on in the community. You mark those, the mourning and signing. See, God marks his people by that. He chastens every child that he receives. He drives us into that wilderness so it would bring forth godly sorrow. He says the kind of fast he wanted for you to stop oppressing the poor, for you to stop doing these things. The being afflicted in mourning, I says, come directly from God. That's the only way you can get anything out of it. That's why I was telling you about fasting, secular fasting may help your health, but bodily profit, profit it little. It's about your spiritual condition. It's about your soul. The rich man was able to be a bill, many bigger bonds and greater bonds, but it came the question to that night. What condition is your soul in? Your soul is required of you tonight. What's going to happen now that you got to go meet your maker? The way you live, the money you got, all the experience and pleasures in life, all the tailgating and luxuries living. What Paul taught 2 Corinthians 7 and 10, it says, that godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, but the sorrow of the world worketh unto death. Godly sorrow inspires change and hope through the atonement of Jesus Christ. So this is a fast. This is something. You're looking for that atonement with God, that atonement with God. Godly sorrow, the repentance, the turning to God of those old ways of what you used to be. You're trying to bring God into your life and you're trying to die to the old man. You're trying to put him away. Godless sorrow work at repentance not to be repented of. That's what we're trying to get into our life because God can ignore, and if you look at Isaiah, God ignored his people because they were hypocrites. And call us a hypocritical nation now just as Israel is a hypocritical nation. You can be sad and messed up and botched up all you want to, God may not be with you because you hadn't changed because this is rooted and grounded in you. There's been no heart conversion. Seems as though James, it says, be miserable and grieve and weep over your sins. 
Let your foolish laughter be turned to mourning and your reckless joy to gloom. Humble yourselves with an attitude of repentance and insignificance. In other words, it's not who you are, that you're broken, that you're worthless, that you're not, you see yourself as insignificant. That's why it says the children of the kingdom shall be cast out in public. It's a harlot to go in because you as a Pharisee think you more than the other guy. You say you tired and you fast twice a week. You're not as that publican. So you think you're holier than everybody else. You think you have a place in society just because you got more money than me. You think you're better than I am. Just because you got the breaks in life and things going right for you that you think you're more better than I am. And that's why it's hard. Jesus says it's hard for rich men to enter into the kingdom of heaven because you're not seeing things from that poor fellow's way. You're not seeing things from God. And he says, Humble yourselves and see sometime when things get into your life, instead of that American way has say we go boop, we go pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and that we never say we sorry and that we just vigilant and go on. Well, maybe that beating uh, something has happened to you because God's trying to make you say uncle. You know, some people just forge on and forge on ahead like Balaam. They're looking for money. They're looking for the gold. They're looking for the riches of this world. And they're not saying, hey, this is something's wrong here. My donkey talking to me. Yes. Why would this, this, this donkey I've been riding all my life, he turn and tell me and he go the other way? You see, God puts obstacles in our way sometimes to slow us down for a reason. You need to step back. I don't know how many times Moses had passed by that burning bush. You need to step back and observe that burning bush to see why is it burning. Mm, yeah. My mother-in-law used to tell me, slow down, Brother Jackson, slow down and smell the roses. Mm. See, sometimes we're going too fast. We're busy with being busy. Yeah. I'd asked you a couple of weeks ago, Deacon, did you see that stuff I put here? I got the communion stuff together and I put it there to take with me to deliver communion to someone. You say, no, Pastor, I was just busy being busy. You know, I was busy doing this and busy doing that. I stood up and looked, and that is right there in that chair. You put it right there in that chair. See, sometimes we overlook the obvious. Sometimes we're looking for our glasses, and they're right on top of our head. We overlook the thing. See, sometimes people have a good spouse at home, but you go find that old thing out in the street. You go find that old woman, that old man out in the street, and you got a good person at home. You look for your, uh, and praise other people's children and everything, and you're not praising those you're at, at home. You got a good car or whatever, but you trying to trade it in on some brand new car. And then they're going to repossess it and take it away from you. And all you had to do was invest a little in the one you had. So we have to humble ourselves. We have to see where we fit in God's purpose. And that's a repentance and a turning away from self. Taking that moat, that beam out of our own eyes. Second point is repentance. The morning should be accomplishing something in our lives. Look at that 30, the three, the, the second half of that third verse. He said, because you are living in evil pleasure while you are fasting and you keep right on oppressing your workers. Luke would 
good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling. This kind of fasting will never get anywhere with God. He's, he says, this won't get anywhere with me. You got food and stuff in your hands and in your mouth, and that a poor person is asking for a handout, and you saying that if a man don't work, he shouldn't eat, and you got more than you necessarily need. You out tailgating. They spend thousands of dollars on the weekends out tailgating and living in pleasure. But we have people that's eating garbage out of the can. We having people that needs this and need those things. And you splurging and covetous. You want more. You want more. You want hundreds of thousands of dollars. You want a larger salary. You want more. It's about more. That's covetousness. And God says, will he bless a nation like that? Is it costing you something? They, they was talking about the gun rights advocate and those people that says, my thoughts and prayers are with you. And the people nowadays are saying, we tired of your thoughts and prayers being with us. You're the legislatures. You're the ones that are in charge. You can do something. Once you ban assault rifles, once you ban it into the laws to their beat their weapons in the plowshare, do like Australia, do like some of these other nations that don't have a third of the gun violence that we do, ban these things. You don't have a right to bear arms. That was when the nation was young and it was in a different position. But there's no reason for you to have some of the armory that the people have now, some of the guns of mass murder that we're doing now. There is something that you can do about it still in my thoughts and prayers. It's a time that you have to put those thoughts and prayers to action. It's like when the people are coming to the Red Sea and God came to Moses crying to Moses and crying to Moses about, and God says, what is that in your hand? He says, that's a rod. He says, well, stretch out the rod across the Red Sea. In other words, God's word, that rod is in your hand. God's word is there for you to do something with. Stop crying to God and get on across the Red Sea. Start working and doing what God's given you to do. Stop saying be warm and be fed when you can lend a hand and when you can give to others. The book of James says, My fellow believers, do not practice your faith in glorious Lord Jesus, in our Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of partiality that is part toward people showing favoritism. You have those in office that committed crimes and keep committing crimes and criminals the criminal justice system now. They're talking about the juveniles and the young people or whatever. Our justice system is in tatters today. Yes. It's a horrible. The people was talking the other week about the correction facility over there for the juveniles and said that was built in 1950 something. That was when young people had a different attitude and a different disposition. There were no security doors and gated wires and everything because the young people wasn't like the young people today and the sentences and things wasn't about what they were about. But the two young men, I don't know if they caught the last one that escaped, but two escaped the other day and they were over there for first degree murder. One hijacked the car a couple of months ago from when he broke out of one of the juvenile facilities and he hijacked the old man and killed him over his truck or whatever. You having 14 and 15, 16 year olds doing the murdering and killing today. 
So it requires different laws. It requires different actions. So we're living, we have to adjust to the times that we're living in. You have to try some of these as adults if they're acting as adults. We have to, he says, James says, what is the benefit, my fellow believers, if someone claims to have faith but has no works? And that man's faith save him? A mere claim is not sufficient. Don't use fasting and praying for someone and you got the means or the actions to do something and don't do it. He says, if a brother or sister is without adequate clothing and lacks food for each day, and one says to them, go in peace, that is, go with my blessings, warm and feed yourselves. But he does not give him the necessities for the body. What good does that do? So to his faith, if it does not have works. So you have to have works to back up what are you saying and what are you doing. I look at St. Vincent de Paul, and if I have any thing that I can do. I may not have money or whatever, but if I have access medicine, medication or have someone that, that have scripts that they can contribute to them because they help those that can't afford their medications. They feed the homeless. They do a whole lot. So I, I, I'm not poised to go against the Catholic Church or any other person that attempt to do good. As my brother was saying the other day, we give to AARP or different organizations that are supposedly helping older people, the Cancer Society, whoever that helps. That's our action, our monies and our resources being put into works. In other words, if we send our money, if we send our resources, if we do our prayers, we're doing something. We're not just hearers and, and talkers, but we actually make the sacrifice to give, to lend a hand. And that's what we're talking about. That's the sacrifice God's looking for. Not a bunch of hypocrites. This, this is what Jeremiah said. I'm not talking in the book of Isaiah where Isaiah called them hypocrites. But this is what the prophet Jeremiah tells them what God says about the people. Jeremiah the 14th chapter, the 10th through the 12th verse says, Thus says the Lord to this people Judah, in the manner to the degree they have loved to wonder. That his people love to wonder about. They love to go from here to there. They love to go from church to church. As the old people say, from pillar to pole. They are not restrained. Therefore the Lord does not accept them. He will now, he will now remember in detail their wickedness and punish them for their sins. I'm going to punish you, he says. So the Lord said to me, do not pray for good things for this people, Jeremiah. Don't pray for good things for them. Though they fast, I will not hear their cry. And though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them because they are done as obligation and not acts of obedience. It's not done from the heart. It's done just to be seen. It's done to say how much you gave to this charity. It's done as the Pharisees. They chose fast days as Tuesdays and what two days they chose as fast days because that was market days and they would be seen about by the most amount of people fasting and praying. So people would say, oh, look how pious he is. Look what a godly man he is, and he's fasting and everything. So when Jesus was telling his disciples about fasting, he showed them what the people were doing wrong, and he told them how to do right. Yes. 
the same action, but there's two different reactions to it. So we have to look at those things. He says, instead, I will consume them by the sword and by famine and by pestilence. During this pandemic, the COVID pandemic, the church was some of the larger violators of, of being kind toward mankind. They didn't chip in as the church should chip in. It's a lot of churches took it upon themselves to be flies in the ointment at this time. And God tells us to be subject to the laws and ordinances of man for Christ's sake. We have to stop pushing against government because God has set government here for good, to do good. Now, if if government is not doing good, they are held accountable to God and not to us. We must look at that, that we are held accountable to God, not for what the other man is doing. See, the Pharisee was saying what all he did in what condition the publican was in. He says, I'm not as this publican is. But the publican says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. He didn't even hold up his head. He bowed his head. That's what God's looking for us to realize and see who we are and that we need God and that we want God to be merciful to us and gracious to us. You know, the apostle Peter had that problem also because Jesus was telling Peter what type death he was going to die. He told Peter that, and Peter said, well, Lord, what's going to happen to this man, to this other disciple? And Jesus says, if I desire for him to remain till I return, what's that to you? We're so worried about the next guy. What's going on with the next fellow? And we should be busy pulling that beam out of our own eye. We should be busy focusing in on self, dying to self. That's where the overcoming is. That's where fasting is, is overcoming. We need the victory there. The third verse, the third repent, uh, restoration, fasting comes we have a restoration to spiritual wholeness. By his stripes we are healed. And by these things, we are defeating the enemy because we're not fighting with spiritual weapons. If we go win this thing, we can't win by carnal weapons. Fasting is a spiritual weapon. And that's one thing the devil tries to do to you. He tries to get you in the flesh. Anything that's a flesh and carnal. That's why I said, if, you, if you're fasting, a lot of people, it may not be the food that's the necessary problem. Gluttony may not be the sin, but it comes through the flesh. Remember I told you the portals in which the devil enters into us. The lust of the flesh, the, I mean the pride of life, pride, the lust of the eyes. And the lust of the flesh. It tries to enter into that. See, because it's it's not what goeth into a man that defileth the man. It's what's coming out of the man that defiles him. And so our intake is not that. So that's why we stop taking in these things and we take in that which is carnal. So if we're taking in food and we stop taking in food and concentrate and pray to God, how about 
Television, if we're sitting there watching television all the time, and that may be one of the things we need to fast away from is television. See, it's no use fasting away from food, and he says you exact this, but you're living in pleasure. Well, if you fasting away from food, but you go in there and watch three or four hours of football that day, well, that's consuming that up on your own lust. That's your pleasure. That's your hobby, whether it's going playing golf, whether it's doing something else that you like doing, reading or whatever, it's about self. See, because Jesus says you need to deny yourself. If any man's going to follow after me, let him deny himself. Let it cost something. You miss your favorite team. You miss your favorite time, that soap opera that's on, or whatever it is you watch. He says, this is what Paul says. For though we walk in the flesh, that is, as mere men, we are not carrying on our spiritual warfare according to the flesh and using the weapons of man. The weapons of our warfare are not physical or carnal weapons. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ, being ready to punish every act of disobedience when our own obedience as a church is complete. So here I am, you abstaining from food, and not that you, it's going to hurt you to miss that food that day. Somebody said, well, the way you look at it, you don't need to. No, but God's going to strengthen me for that I miss. There's a reward in fasting, see. But the thing is, maybe next time I won't tell you. You know, the first thing you do, if you tell somebody you're going on a diet, don't do that because when they see you eating or doing something, they say, well, you shouldn't be doing that. You remember you're on a diet. Or shouldn't you be doing this? You let somebody find out you're a Christian or you say that you're a Christian, they're going to say, well, you know, the Bible says, they always going to tell you what the Bible says and what a Christian shouldn't do. That's why God says when you pray, enter into your prayer closet. Don't let the right hand see what the left hand see, because there's always going to be somebody trying to discourage you. Somebody trying to talk against what you knock it down. It was Job's own wife that said, Job, you need to curse God and die. Because look how you look. You're all pathetic. Look like you're eating away and you got sores and boils all over you. You lost your children and all your money and everything. And I'm about to leave or whatever. So you need to curse God and die. Job says, something wrong with you, woman. You don't sound like my wife. Mm. You know, sometimes it's better that we don't go tell people what we're going through. Doesn't scripture tell us that the word of God says, Jesus says, that, you know, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to God, but if he was hungry, he wouldn't tell them. You know, sometimes you don't tell your enemy things. God says, don't tell, tell her this that lieth in your bosom. Everything. You see, that's what happened to Samson. He told Delilah all that was in his heart. You know, you didn't give your enemy ammunition against you when you talk too much sometimes. You have to keep things to yourself. So our struggle is, is 
with the flesh or the things of the flesh, so we have to buffet the flesh. We have to buffet it. You know, you have to say, no, I don't need that second piece of meat. You know, I don't need this. I don't need that. You don't really need anything. I was telling, I seen a movie Denzel had made, Hurricane, about this boxer. You can't allow anything to become addiction in your life to where you need anything. All you need is God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Jesus says, I have food that you know not of. You see, that's why I say what sustained him on that 40 day fast, because he said it don't doesn't specifically says he was not eating and drinking. But it says a 40 day fast and we know it was a premium fast that he was on. But we know Moses, it says that he was eating nor drinking for 40 days. We know Esther, when she got ready to fast, that she said, told Mordecai to tell the people to put on sackcloth and ashes and that no man should eat or drink anything during that time. When Jonah came preaching to Nineveh, and the people know that the community was mixed up, just like today. We know the United States is messed up. Shouldn't we be mourning and fasting where the king of Nineveh says, let neither man nor animal. Now, here's a king that knows this city really messed up. The animals were fasting. Don't feed your animals. Don't give them anything. I don't think they had to put sackcloth and stuff on the animals. But the thing was, they wasn't feeding the animals. And God saw their hearts. God saw their desperation. Is it desperation in you that you crying to the Lord for your spouse or your children or the situation you're in? Or is it pride? See, because pride to have you not wanting to lose something. Pride to have you praying for somebody or doing this so you could be seen and say, I prayed for him. I did this. I did that. Or is it really the heart? God searched the heart. That was the one of the things that we talked about in Bible study about fasting. God's looking at the heart. Is your heart right with God? See, these people heart wasn't right with God and they were looking to him. Press God and want to God to look down and say, oh, look how he fasting and look at the way he is and everything. I got to bless him. I got to do something for him. You can't move God like that. God doesn't have feelings like that. Now, you can't touch God with that. You can touch Jesus Christ. But he's been through it, so he know what we're going through. He knoweth the heart. He know when you're putting on. He know when you ain't right. The armor of God. You remember I was telling you, our weapons are not of this world. And I tell you, each morning when I wake up, I ask God to put the whole armor of God upon me. Paul says, uh, talks about these weapons of God. Listen at these weapons here in the book of Ephesians, the sixth chapter. This is the armor of God. He says, be strong in the Lord. That is, draw your strength from him and be empowered through your union with him. In other words, you unite with God, not with food. That, that, that meat is not going to make you strong. The carbohydrates and everything, you can do without that. The thing that you can't do without is God. That's who you look into. That's where your meditation, that, that's your strength. That, that's what it's saying. I can do without all these things, but the next two or three days, I need to get closer to you, God. I need to be in conversation with you. 
It's in, the, in his boundless might. It says, put on the full arm of God. For his precepts are like armor, heavily armed soldiers, so that you may be able to successfully stand up against all of the schemes and strategies and the deceits of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, that is contending only with physical opponents. Now notice contending only because, see, the devil's going to come in the flesh. He's going to come wrapped up in something. Sin is appealing. And there's no temptation that's taken man that is not common unto man. You know, so it, it, it's going to be a good looking individual. It's going to be something that tempts you. If sin wasn't appealing, it wouldn't be a temptation. And it comes, what, what sin comes from is the desires within our members. So if our mind frame is not right, if we're in a covetous mind frame, he's going to put the thoughts of money, the thoughts of getting something else from you. But if it's physical, if it's sex, and you remember sexual immorality with pornography and all of these things, those are, are physical addictions that, that you can see. And so it comes through the guise of individuals. That's why it says the devil come unto Jesus. He come in the guise of a man preaching the word of God, a false prophet. And that's where the devil comes in. He's, done, he's converted his ministers into angels of light. So they come preaching and teaching the word of God. See, devil is the personification of evil. Satan is, no, is mentioned in the Old Testament because Satan is the, uh, the evil. That's the theocracy of, of evil. But what happens, the personification of that evil is the devil. Yes. Yes. That's why somebody say, you ain't nothing but the devil or whatever. In other words, Satan is possessing you. You are emissary of the devil. So it says, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So it may be your spouse trying to stop you from fasting because it's going to give you strength over them because it's going to put things in the right perspective. It could put things in the right place. It should be. You see, Eve wouldn't want Adam to be in the head of the house if she was a feminine. If she was a feminist, she would want it to be equal, whereas God had gave man the dominion. So Jezebel, that spirit of Jezebel, Ahab humbled himself and prayed. And God said, you see, Abraham, how he humbled himself. You remember when Elijah came to Ahab, Ahab humbled himself and prayed. And God says, I'm not going to do it in that generation. So you see, I say fasting and mourning has its effect. Here's the wickedest King Ahab. And the Bible tells you how wicked Ahab was. He was one of the most wicked kings that ever was. But God respected his fasting and humbling himself. And he said he wasn't going to do it in that generation that during that time. Now, he still killed Ahab. He still punished Ahab's people, but Ahab wasn't like the evil and wicked Jezebel that God allowed Jezebel to be tossed from the building and the dogs ate Jezebel. Her disrespect for God, her pride, because when they came, when Jehu came to take Jezebel out, Jezebel was putting on makeup and dressing up, trying to seduce the men that were going to throw her down, but they had sent eunuchs up there. These was men that wasn't given to women. Yes. 
and says, therefore, put on the whole armor of God. Stand your ground in the evil day and having done everything to the crisis demands, stand firm. Be fully prepared, immovable. Stand and hold your ground, having tightened a band of truth that is personal integrity, moral courage around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness and having strapped on your feet the gospel of peace in preparation to face the enemy with firm, full stability and readiness by the good news. So you see how you're dressed up and ready to fight the enemy that God has you so clothed that you're ready to take on Satan and he fully clothed you the whole armor of God. Above all, it says, take the protective shield of faith, which can quench all of the flaming arrows of the evil one and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, listen at this. You remember I told you fasting can't be without prayer. You need to have a prayerful heart and sincerity to God. He says, with all prayer and petition, that is specific request. What is you specifically praying? What is you asking God for? On every occasion for every season, with this point in view, stay alert with all perseverance and petition and pray and pray with prayer and supplications. Let your request be known unto God. Now we put to death self. Self is being put to death in Matthew 16th chapter, 14th through the 17th verse, it says, Jesus told his disciples, if you wish to follow after him, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and follow after him. If it need be suffering, dying for Christ. And if it takes, and like I said, he's not going to allow you to fast to death. So when somebody said, well, you can die like that, a responsible fast doesn't, won't lead to your death. If God's leading you to the fast. Now, if it's your pride, if it's you doing it, of course it could. But if it's God doing it, we know God doesn't do evil. All things work together for good for those that love the Lord. He says, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit is if a man gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? So Paul says he was often in fasting, and he wanted to die to self. He says he died daily. He's being offered up as a drink offering. So with all of this armor on, notice there's no armor for your back. It's no armor for your back from running away from the battle. You have to face the battle. But God says, blessed are ye for when men say all manner of evil against you. It's in the Bible. It's called backbiting and gossiping. How do you face backbiting and gossiping? How do you fight against that enemy? Well, we look at the 52nd chapter in the 12th verse of Isaiah for that. The 58th chapter in the 8th verse, it says, For you will not go out in a hurry as when you left Egypt, nor will you go out in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel be, will be your real guard. 58 and 8 says, Then shall they light, thy light break forth as the morning, and the, thine health shall spring, spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy re-reward. What is that re-reward that the King James has in there? If you look in the book of Amplified Bible, it says 
real guard. In other words, God has your back. God has your back when they're talking about you. God has your back when they're doing all manner of evil against you. You don't know who's saying what. You don't worry about what's being said about you. Blessed are you when men say all manner of evil against you. You don't worry about that. God got your back. He says, I'll be your real God. I'll be your real reward. That's what that means. God has your back. He says, David says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep and honor your word. See, I was out there doing this, but before I was afflicted, before I got in this trouble with Bathsheba, I was the one who went astray. God didn't bring this on me. I brought it up on myself. Now, God got me out of it. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivered us out of them all. God will deliver us out of them. We trust in God and we're willing to deny ourselves. We deny, willing to deny food and drink. We're willing to give up that which pleasures us. I, I may be missing the game. I may be missing the food. I may be missing a good sexy picture or something. But he says you must deny yourself. You must deny yourself, he says. And it says here, listen to what he tells his disciples that came to him. He says, then shall they fast. Whenever you're fasting, don't do this. He says, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they put on a sad and dismal face. They uh, act like they're doing so much. He says, but when you fast, put oil on your head as you normally would to groom your hair and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by people. But, but your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Yes. So here's a promise from Christ. He says, when you fast, don't do like these other guys do, but do it in secret so people won't know you're doing. Wash your face, clean yourself up, yes. Yes. and go about. Your father see what you're doing. You don't have to sound a drum and go tell everybody you're fasting and tell everybody you're doing he see it in secret. He see your hands and he'll reward you. Now, the Pharisees, they have their reward. Now, it is a reward. Which You remember I told you he rewarded Ahab. He didn't kill Ahab in that manner at that time. He said he's going to bring it up on his children because he fed. But the reward that the Pharisees received, they received their praise of men. Men gave them glory and honor and everything, and believe me, they're getting the same thing today. They got their jets, they got their mansions, they got their fancy cars, they got all these other things. They have their reward. But God says, you're laying up treasure in heaven. God seeth you, you like the wood of that threw in two mites. Fasting half is reward. So what are you praying for? God's going to reward you. But he rewards every man according to his deeds, according to his work. So you keep praying, you keep fasting, he says, but he's going to put you in a condition where you go fast, but you could do it in the way he prescribed. You will follow his instructions. It's going to be attended to with faith. It's going to be attended to with obedience to him. And you're not going to be looking to be seen. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this day, Lord God.